Okay, Americans, it's Derek here. And ever since I got here, some of you guys have been giving me a hard time about how I say words different or how I pronounce or how I speak. And so I'm here to set the record straight on a few things um, that we do different. One of the things um, that you guys do a little bit different um, is if you go to an establishment such as Chick-fil-A or McDonald's and you're ordering something to accompany your burger or your sandwich, um, you guys would ask for what we call chips. Now, if I ask for a burger and chips over here, I'm not going to get that warm, salty fry that I'm expecting. No, 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 I get something cold and crunchy that you would call a chip. In Ireland, we call that a crisp. So in Ireland, if you ever go and you're asking for something to accompany your burger or your sandwich, make sure that you ask for chips. The second is football. You call football soccer. And your version of football is what we would call American football. See, where we're from, football is soccer. American football, you guys wear a helmet and pads and hold a ball that looks like an egg and you call it football. So where we're from, no, 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 there's only one football and it is what you guys call soccer. The third one is if you go to Ireland and you are looking for a biscuit, you know, in your mind you may be thinking of a Chick-fil-A biscuit, something um, that's a little bit fluffy, something that is maybe like a breakfast food. If you go to Ireland and ask for a biscuit, you're not going to get that. You may get a chocolate chip cookie, you may get a jammy dodger, which, by the way, are fabulous, um, but you may not be getting what you're expecting. So a biscuit in Ireland is something that you may dip in your tea or have something after dinner. The fourth one, very interesting. If you go to Ireland and you are looking for an item of clothing, we would call trousers, uh, you guys call pants, which was rather strange for me when I first moved here because if you're asking somebody uh, for a pair of pants in Ireland, what you're asking them is for a pair of underwear. So if you were to make the comment to somebody, hey man, really like your pants, it's not a good thing to say, so just fair warning if you go to Europe, just don't comment on pants. Ask for trousers or nice trousers you got there. The next one is something that I've learned after having Henry, and we would call um, the, the garment that we would put on the child to stop them from peeing themselves. Um, in Ireland, we call that a nappy. Now, over here, um, you guys would call that a diaper. So um, a diaper to me doesn't really make sense, but I guess a nappy doesn't make much sense. Um, and then to go off that, if you were to give your child something to keep them quiet or something to soothe them, and in Ireland, we give them what's called a dummy. Uh, and your version of that would be a pacifier. Now, to me, a pacifier sounds very aggressive. It sounds almost like a weapon. But I guess a dummy, on the other hand, sounds a little dumb and stupid, I guess. But anyway, we call them a dummy and a nappy. And the final one, the final one is if I am out in an establishment or if I'm out somewhere and I'm looking to uh, go to, you know, the bathroom, you guys sound very eloquent when you're asking for where is the restroom. Uh, in Ireland, we're kind of more forward and we're asking for where exactly is the toilet because we don't see much resting to be done it is a time to get in get out quickly so i found that strange that you guys would call it a room to rest where is the rest room and so here are some things that we uh, say different over in ireland and if you ever travel there here are some of the things just to be aware of that if you ask for a certain thing that you're used to you may not be getting what you're expecting welcome to the table
Thank you all so much for joining us on today's episode. It's a very special one in that we are joined by three, uh, dare I say, experts on our topic of discussion, worship. These fellows are a wealth of knowledge, and I'm excited for you to hear all that they and Lee talk about. First, though, let me give you a little bit of info on each one. Our first guest is James Wells. He serves as the director of choral ministries at Brentwood United Methodist Church. He oversees all the choir activities for students and adults and has directed choirs of every age at Bumsey. Since 2010, James has also served on the staff of the Nashville Children's Choir at Belmont and directs the touring choir there. He was a music, choral, and drama teacher for a number of years and attended both MTSU and Belmont University for his music education. In recent years, he's traveled throughout the U.S. and abroad conducting children and youth choirs for organizations, music camps, and school and community festivals. He and his wife Amy live in Franklin, Tennessee, and recently celebrated 26 years of marriage. They have two young adult daughters, Molly and Emily, who both grew up at Bumsey. We love working with James, and we love his family, and we're super excited for you to get to hear all he has to share today. Another guest we have is Dwight Johnson. For the last 10 years, Dwight has dedicated his life to youth and family ministry in both Mississippi, where he's from, and now here in Nashville, Tennessee, where he directs youth programs for an organization called Preston Taylor Ministries. Dwight is the author of Black Boy Soar, an illustration book written in rhyme and written out of a desire to better represent black and brown children and youth in literature. Dwight is currently the Theology Together Director for the Center for Youth Ministry Training, where he creates curriculum and content for youth ministries across the country. Dwight's also a musician. He's been singing since he was four, playing piano since he was 12, and studied music in college. Dwight leads worship part-time for various churches in the area and at his home church, Nashville Life Church. In November 2020, Dwight released his debut single, Unraveled, which was written to inspire people to abandon living lives based on lies and start living a life of freedom. And I can say that after having the single on repeat for the last few days, it absolutely does that. It's inspiring and fun and so, so well done. So do yourself a favor and go check it out. Dwight is an awesome dude who's come alongside our student ministry here at Bumsey in a number of different ways, and we are so stoked that he's with us here today. Our last guest is Elias Dummer. Whether through solo work or as the frontman for the band The City Harmonic, his songs have garnered more than 60 million streams and radio spins, dozens of awards, and global chart appearances. And he's been published and featured on global platforms including, but not limited to, NBC, CBC, Relevant Magazine, and the Huffington Post. He's even won a Juno Award, which is Canada's Grammy. Today, Elias lives with his wife and their five kids in Nashville, where he serves as the director of worship at the Village Church, which he helped to plant in 2015. He continues to write, release new music, and seek out new ways to reach the world with the incredible love of Jesus through song and substance alike. He also has a new single out called 1914 Christmas Truce. It's personally one of my favorite Christmas stories, and Elias absolutely nails the feeling in the heart of it. If you don't know the story of the Christmas truce from World War I, I encourage you to read about it and then listen to Elias's take. If you're a storyteller or a songwriter, this is one song you can't miss. All three of these guys drop some real nuggets of wisdom in their conversation with Lee, so without further ado, let's get to it. Okay, you guys, I'm so excited. Today is a very exciting day on the podcast. Uh, you know by now that we are nearing the tail end of season one. 
Um, I cannot believe that. Only three episodes left to go into the table. And we have covered um, some ground together. We've walked through various spiritual disciplines. We played some ridiculous games. Um, and we're going to continue walking through those spiritual disciplines today, but we're going to do it a little bit different than we've done it in the past. I'm the only staff member that's usually on the table or to the table present. James is with us. We have James and some very special guests uh, lending us their voice this week. So help me welcome our friend Elias Dummer from The Village, James Wells, our very own, and one of my favorite people ever, Dwight Johnson. Would you welcome them to the podcast? What up, what up, what up, what up? (laughs) (laughs) So Mason has already told us a little bit about you guys, but I just want to say that we are really, really thankful um, that you're here with us. Uh, your voice and the way that you have led and championed this idea of worship um, and influenced our community um, is is really beautiful. So we're really honored to have you with us. And you're also our first ever official guests onto the table. Hey, ever had a guest? Wow. Yeah. wow. So when we, become, when we blow up, yeah, when we blow up and become <laughs> these like huge cultural icons, you can say yes. I was their first guest. That's it. Um, Yes. So before we get too far in, I just want everyone to know whose voice is whose. So James, we'll start with you. Um, just can you I just tell us who you are, uh, where you serve currently, and also if you don't mind telling us what what does worship mean to you. So we'll just go around. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm James. I'm on staff at Bumsey. I've done a variety of different things in music and worship. Um, choirs of all ages over the years and um continue to do so and and um for for me and my role specifically it is you know about providing groups of people ensembles of people large and small and everywhere in between um to you know assist in lending the congregation their voice you know using a a a group of people to to help the congregation be more than more than spectators, you know, to be involved mm. in that that vertical uh, relationship with where where we send our voices. Mm. Not just consumers. I love that. Yeah. That's so good. All right, Dwight. Hey, everybody. Dwight Johnson here. I uh, am on staff with the Center for Youth Ministry Training for all of three months. Very, very new. <laughs> my, my office is literally next door to Bomsey. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, and yeah, you know, I love, James, I love what you said about worship as not being a spectator sport, right? But it's an inclusion and everyone's a part of the experience, whether you're on stage or whether you're in the congregation. And I think to me, when I think about what worship means um, and, and what it is, um, the thing that I think about doesn't even happen in the building. Um, it's actually what happens outside. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's worship becomes how I live my life. And when I, when my worship is focused in what I'm doing day to day, as far as just like how I'm living, how my relationships, my community, all those sorts of things. When I enter into a more formal space of worship, of, of singing, of dancing, of clapping, whatever your tradition calls for, uh, I'm actually intrigued and desire to be a part of that because it helps me and it feels me to live outside of that. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what I have 
where I sit my hat currently. It may change tomorrow. Who knows? <laughs> really good. Yeah. Elias? Yeah, I'm uh, Elias Dummer. I'm the director of worship at The Village. Um, I've kind of been involved with uh, the plant of that church from day one, um, before day one. Um, and uh, also I'm a recording artist, so I've been making records for a long time with a band called The City Harmonic, and now as a solo artist and on the radio and all that jazz. So it's been awesome. it's been a long run. So it's, it's I feel wow. like a grizzled. I don't know what now, but but it's I love love what I do in that regard. Um, it's it's interesting because it's sort of different in a sense. You know, it's really easy to jump to music, and I think sort of picking up what what Dwight was putting down a little bit. Um, I, I think worship for me is really a, a discipleship act. It's mm. it's a thing. We live in a world that is constantly fighting for the attention of our heart and soul and mind. And it, it music is very effective at, as a mode of prayer for this. But what worship ultimately is to me is the correcting of the attention of our desires and our thoughts. It's it's like the practice of intentionally giving our Jesus and our relationship to Jesus, kind of putting that at the center of our yeah. desires and our love. Yeah. And, and I think that that happens both in groups, like, like Dwight said, and also yeah. uh, when we're out in the world, I mean, in, yeah. in, 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 in a sense, that's, you know, Matthew 22, love the Lord, your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this little bridge phrase, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So there's sort of this sense in which like, if we're going to worship God with gusto in the sanctuary, um, sort of like experience is proof of these other things, our love for our neighbor is proof of worship as well. And so there's yeah. sort of this symbiotic relationship there. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's ultimately, I think worship is, is a discipleship thing. Yeah. It, it's, we don't just take information in and then be like, oh, I'm more like Jesus. No, we put it into practice by changing how and who we love. Mm. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's really, and we're, we're going to talk a little bit about, I hope if we get there, um, in Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, he talks mm -hmm. about what are the fruits of worship, and mm -hmm. you just spoke to that, like, worship has fruit, it is not just this um, go to church type thing, but mm -hmm. we see a difference in people as a result of a posture of worship, so mm -hmm. um, Richard Foster says this, I wanted to read this quote, um, in as he enters into this idea of the discipline of worship, he says this to worship is to experience reality, to touch life, capital L it is to know, to feel, to experience the resurrected Christ in the midst of gathered community. It is a breaking into the Shekinah of God mm. or better yet being invaded by the Shekinah of God, Shekinah meaning the gloriance mm -hmm. or the glory or the radiance of God dwelling in the midst of his people. Mm -hmm. I just think that is so beautiful. Like worship is to touch life. Like it is access to, you know, the famous mm -hmm. the throne of the throne of God. Mm. Um, I absolutely love that. He also says that worship is the human response to the divine initiative. Human is the uh, worship is the human response to the divine initiative. And I love this idea as I was sort of marinating on that. Like, I love the idea that God initiates worship mm -hmm. it is initiated by God. Uh, he draws that out of us by his goodness, by his creativity. Like God inspires us 
God's godness inspires mm-hmm. us to worship. Yeah. And so I, I think that's my next question is like, what inspires you to be in a posture of worship? Mm. Well, Lee, I, I think one of the things that comes to mind right now is the lack of physical community with other people. When we have an opportunity to be in community yeah. and inspired by the goodness of humanity around us, um, mm-hmm. for me, I mean, maybe it's a, I know it's different for everyone, but for, for me, and connecting worship with being able to do it in community is, is something that I think draws me in. I'm not sure what that says or doesn't say about me personally, but, um, and I know having a heart for, for students and young people, I know that that is a struggle mm-hmm. with them as well right now. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, James. I should have said this. You know, we've walked through the various disciplines, and Richard Foster kind of categorizes them as like inward, outward, and corporate disciplines. And worship in this respect, as we talk about it, is this idea of doing it corporately. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you spoke to that. I think that is a beautiful thing. There's something about um, being in community. Yeah. Sorry mm-hmm. to mean interrupt anyone, but no, I I think that's so good, and and I think even to that to that point that James made of just like what this current life reality has held, I think, I think it has exposed my need for him so much more, my need for God so much more. Mm. And I think I've been helpless in so many different facets of my life this year, so mm-hmm. many different facets, and it has left me longing. Mm-hmm. And what, has, what I have found is really the only connector, the only thing that has really made sense, even when I wasn't feeling it or even when I did not want to do it, was the was being in the presence of God, of 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 of, mm-hmm. act of worship and 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 a lot of that was not even singing a song. Um there were months where I couldn't even sing a song. There were some months where I literally just had to sit in a space mm-hmm. and lament. And mm-hmm. and I think that that has to also be inclusive of what we see worship as being, right? Like mm-hmm. it, yeah. it can't just be, you know, I'm sitting here and and I'm trying to conjure up this like this this agenda with the Holy Spirit. Like, mm-hmm. nah, like today <laughs> I am just gonna show up and that will have to be enough. And and I think we don't we don't we don't talk about that enough. I, I think that so much of worship has become like what what do I have to do like physically to make sure worship is happening? And Lee, you said it earlier, like God has initiated that worshipful time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so my response what in this particular season is to just show up. Mm-hmm. And that may lead to a song, that may lead to me sitting there in silence. And mm-hmm. both of those are extremely worshipful. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, that's good. Have you guys ever heard of uh, Brother Lawrence? Is that he talks uh, about that? I was mm-hmm. just about to say, Elias Dwight yeah. just wrote this chapter of this book. Yeah, he talks so, about Brother Lawrence. I was going to talk about that. Go ahead. Yeah, Brother Lawrence is this uh, monk who was uh, basically the the dish boy in a monastery, um, and he wrote a book that I don't even think was published in his lifetime. It might have been posthumously. Mm. Um, it was called "Practicing the Presence of God," and he was basically saying how God is the God of the pots and pans, that there is a sense in which the there is some onus on us to be intentional in all of the things we do to be aware of and hungry for. And I think that's a big one. Um, I moved from Canada and 
going to church in Canada is different than going to church in the Bible Belt. There, you go to church in Canada and 90% of the people know exactly why they're there because it's not socially convenient to go to church. So there's a sense in which like there's that sense of desire and hunger mm. for God in what we're doing. Um, but that sense of like practicing the presence of God, going and taking God with you in all that you do, mm. I think that's a really, really good, good thing. Um, I, I think too, though, that it's important to remember that corporate worship, private worship, whatever, that these are ultimately modes of prayer. Like the riot yeah. song, we're, we're, we're singing our prayers yeah. as a group because to do so has a profound effect on us. Mm-hmm. And so, but we are ultimately praying. So like the singing is a mechanism, a beautiful one, um, but it is a mechanism for, for group prayer or for solo prayer. And so I think for me, like, it is, I want to be careful because I've fallen into this and I've had God's conversations that's sort of where people kind of get into this. We need to not be guilty of like a, almost like a worship manifest destiny where everything I do is automatically worshipful because I'm the one doing it. Right. right. I think, I think it's important to sort of like go, no, there's some intention in that. There's some like, uh, I think, I think it's in human nature to worship something always. Mm-hmm. So we're we're always filling the void with some new thing that we want or love or obsess over, and we intentionally correct that by practicing prayer and saying, "God, I'm going to spend time and do nothing else. Maybe I'm not going to go on my grocery list, but I'm going to sit down and and listen to God and wait on God and and mm-hmm. that sort of thing." Um, so I think I think being intentional in all of it. Is is really key. It's the spirit that does the work in us. I and mean, what's that? Mm-hmm. Uh, Second Corinthians, I think it's in chapter three. Um, the unveiled faces. We contemplate the Lord's glory, who uh, transformed with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So there's this sense in which, like, we encounter God, and God does the changing in us. And so we have a role to play. We step into it, but it's ultimately that encounter with God that transforms us and, and changes us from the inside out. Well, it's so interesting. But as I was like preparing yeah. for this and writing out my questions, Herschel was like, you don't need questions. Like it's just going to flow. And he's right because every question I already had, you already, y'all have already entered. There. Oh, so um, I shouldn't have wasted my time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there is a, a quote that I was going to read and, and Dwight, you got to it and, and Elias and James, but like you said this, okay, we can use all the right techniques and all the right methods. We can have the best possible liturgy. But we have not worshipped the Lord until spirit touches spirit. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Like, I yeah. love that. Um, until spirit touches spirit. That song and praying and praise, it's a way of worship. It's a mode, right? But worship comes of the overflow and spirit, capital S, touches spirit. Mm-hmm. Um when we feel, you know, when we experience the face of God, the overflow of that experience is our worship. And I Mm -hmm. think that is, I don't know, that's just an incredible thought, spirit touching spirit and something Mm -hmm. I think I'm just, that's a visual that I need. I think when understanding. Also, it's something that you can't often script, right? You can't necessarily plan for that in a meeting. You can plan for the space for it, I guess. And then mm-hmm. I guess get out of the way. <laughs> so, so James, you bring up a good point. And I ask you this as the, you know, everybody listening, these are all worship leaders. Um, so then why, 
why a liturgy? Why a set? Why a time period for a sermon and then two songs? And so if we're allowing the spirit to move, like, why wouldn't we leave that whole time open? Can any of you speak to that? You know, I, I have a lot of smart friends who could. Um, um, and Dwight, you know, you, you've studied this to a degree, I'm sure. But um, I do think um, a prompting of the Spirit through some of the disciplines of the structure of, of corporate worship are a good thing. You know, the, the uh, you know lifting up of the Word and the acclamation and the, the praises of the people and the the prayer time and the sending forth and all those kind of structural things that we do. Um, and I think this would speak to students who grow up, who have grown up and are growing up with, with church and worship being a destination and a time on the calendar, a uh, specific day and time that, um, you know, there are reasons why we specifically isolate certain times for things to happen. But, but, uh, but knowing that God is so much bigger than, you know, the, the, the do you think points. that we isolate too much? Do you think that we could leave more room? Or do you think that the way that we're structured liturgically is, what do you think? I mean, I'm not, not trying to get anybody in trouble with their well, or anything. I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I, I think the current climate of worship where people are trying to use video and Zoom and are live streaming and, 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 you know, you're trying to be mindful of, how people are experiencing church and community on the screen. You, you definitely don't want someone sitting at a screen for two and a half hours right. because, you know, the Holy Good spirit, point. you know what I mean? Like, you don't, cause at that, at that point, people will start kind of dropping out and kind of like what you were saying earlier, Lee, like if, if, if they don't feel a part of that experience, they won't check back in. They won't click back in. Yeah. No, so you're I think that's one. I think there is something to say to that. But I, mm -hmm. I, I mean, my 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 tradition is I grew up Methodist, uh, and then moved into the Pentecostal, and then into the non-denominational. So I, I've kind of swam through a few different modes of of worship experiences, mm -hmm. um, and I've seen where I've been. So like I've been on a I've been an intern on the staff at the United Methodist Church where. Every Wednesday, we sat there and we planned out the entire worship service from start to finish, and we knew that at this time this was going to happen, and that, and you know all this moving pieces. Um, and I remember being in those meetings, being like, "Why are we trying to control all of this? Like, where is room for the Holy Spirit?" So mm -hmm. that's so that's so that's the other end, and then the other space is when you have congregations like Bumpsy that size. Uh, village that's growing. You have even like Nashville Life Church where I attend. You have these congregations that are growing. I do believe that you try to work to you, you try to work to bring those two spheres together a little bit to where you say, hey, we need to have a plan. Uh, we need to know what's going on, and we need to have a sense of direction uh, because of the people. Right. The people need to know that there's like this is where we're headed, because I think when people know where they're headed, they're more open to, to mm. participation. That's um, a really good thought. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. I think, and I think it opens up the door for them to be a little bit more comfortable to know, like, all right, cool. This is what's coming up next. And, and, and to yeah, them out there. Yeah, it's kind of about trust. Right. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. I, th I, th I think um, so. I I'm probably. The least Methodist, in a sense, I because I, it's not a thing in Canada. So I, I really? no, mm -mm. so I, 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 I'm 
probably more like a Wesleyan Anglocostal. Um, I love that. I, I grew up, you know, <laughs> in a lot of a lot of charismatic circles, and you know. But anyway, long story short, um, I, I I guess the thing for me is like we at the village, at least, we've been sort of intentional to try to and and increasingly so build active space. So like we, we take, we take the Eucharist communion every week. Um, and when we do that, we intentionally leave uh, space, partly trying to coach our people to expect that God might do something mm. that, you know, and so we, we sort of have this flow where people come forward for communion and then they go to the kneelers or they go to a prayer team person to pray for them and, and kind of be ministered to in a sense in that way by their own peers and sometimes by the pastors and, you know, kind of praying for each other. So we've kind of tried to cake that in a little bit when we were in person, that was, you know, nine months ago or whatever, but, mm-hmm. um, but that's sort of something because of this, because of this question, I think we were sort of like, you know, the planning of those things are good. I'm I'm really big on mechanisms. I have no problem planning a mechanism that'll get us from A to B. Right. Um, but at the same time, uh, like we said, we can go through all of the tricks, if you will, and have done just that. It could be no better than mentalism if we're not careful. If we're not careful. And so I think it's important for us to say, hey, what what we are trying to do is coach people to coach people to be hungry for God, to be hungry for an experience of God. And, and that may be a song. It may be, you know, at a certain point. And so we, we sort of just try to leave that space. Um, And it's not always a ton of time to be honest, but, but just try to be intentional that people it's a little loose and people can come forward and be prayed for and sing with each other and that sort of thing. And I, and and honestly, I'd love us to keep going down that road because some of the most profound experiences, if you will, of my spiritual life have been, you know, alone on the floor, praying, singing, whatever, like where there isn't an agenda per se, mm-hmm. be very earnest with God. And I think, um, and, and in corporate worship, the truth is the most profound experiences of my life have been the same. They've been where there was space to, I don't know, Loosen up a little. Go I don't off know. Script. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, go off yeah. script. I, and, and and not as a leader, but as a congregant. I think that's yeah. when you know, as a leader, it's harder to do than it is to enjoy. Ask that. Yeah, so it's because somebody somewhere will thinks you have a job to do, no matter what, right? Yeah. 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 And, so, I, and and I think like even as I think about like the structure of Sunday experiences, right, like. I wonder, and this is just me wondering, this is just me just dreaming, right? Like, what, at what point, I mean, y'all, y'all are hitting the, the, the point of, like, being on staff at a church, right? Of, like, I, this is my job. Like, this is my, my nine to five, if you will. And so I have a responsibility to kind of keep things moving forward. And so, like, how much of that, and, and there may not, I don't know, how much of that begins to affect how we how we build those Sunday experiences, right? Like how much of I have to get this done yeah. becomes the weight of what I'm what's what people are experiencing in Sunday, you know? Yeah. That's something that I just always have thought about as I've worked in the church space and then moved into the more nonprofit space has been like and then volunteering at church, right? So this is something that I've like I wonder what that what that looks like or how that 
even worse. I was going to say, I mean, there are people who are probably better at the balance than I was, but that's why I'm not full time. I, mm-hmm. I, when mm-hmm. I was full time in that role, I found I got caught up in the politics or the mm-hmm. whatever in, and, uh, you know, I do other things that are more profitable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. So, so, so but, but, but that my, <laughs> my motive for not taking a full-time position anyway, I mean, we have multiple worship people on staff at our church because I'm not full-time. It's we've worked around it, but it, it, to me, at least, I don't know. I I've enjoyed in my life ministering from a place of not needing the gig mm. um, because, Amen. because of the freedom that that, Yep, brings with it to, I, and I think to some degree, and I don't know if this is uncomfortable language, and it takes some defining, um, but I think to some degree, a worship leader, if we're looking at you know David and his ephod as our model, which maybe not be a great model for the South, but um, but <laughs> but if we're you know if that's what we're shooting for, I mean, there's there's a role whether or not we're kind of stepping into this in a super spiritual way or not. There's sort of almost like a prophetic role that the worship leader plays. We are trying to look at the people and see the people for who they are. We're trying to, you know, pray and in a sense lead in a pastoral way the people with us. And, you know, and and I think if I've been challenged by anything this year, it's been that like, how often did I go into Sunday morning trusting the mechanisms and not really asking God, hey, what? what's the slap in the face that you need me to give today? Or what's the, how is it that you want to shake this sleeping giant into a, you know, a roaring lion or whatever? Um, And, and it was, I mean, the answer was not very often at all. And I think I've felt convicted by that. Is that, that like, as a worship leader, to what extent is, is our job? Responsibility. Yeah. Responsibility to change the status quo so that people, don't feel like it is the status quo at all that they are coming with ears and eyes open. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I would say James in thinking about that, like you probably have the hardest environment just by nature of the structure of our church, just by nature of what we're used to, you know, the village gets to a little bit, rewrite the script. You're a little bit newer. So you get to do the the risk eater thing. Dwight, you're in a non-denom community that already views that experience a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And I would just say, James, you're, you kind of, that's, that's difficult. Like that's really difficult. Well, and I, I'm, <laughs> I will say I, I can be one that asks, you know, the sort of burr under the saddle, you know, in meetings from time to time to ask now, why are we doing this again? Or why are we still doing this? Right. Or why, or is this making a difference? But I'll be the first to confess that I don't always have a better idea either. <laughs> so, sure, sure. Uh, uh, yeah. I certainly serve in a place that can we can be guilty uh, of uh, worshiping at the altar of this is what we've always done, um, or worshiping at the altar of sort of a whatever that sacred cow might be, you know. The um, sure. but we're, that's not exclusive to us. Um, you know, we've, right. we've all got our we've all got our distractions, um, yeah. and, and we, mm-hmm. we lose sight of we lose sight of things. It just looks different for, for each of us. Um, and, and I, in my personal part of my walk is because I came out of a, um, a role as an educator younger in my adult life. I, I was a, a public school music teacher first. 
I was specifically targeted and asked to come into a role full time so that I would keep mm-hmm. the church doing what they had been doing. Uh, I was asked to come mm-hmm. and keep something like it was before. I've always struggled with um, um, this would be a confession on my part. I, I've just for for years <laughs> I have said if this is why they asked me to come, you know, you know, God, don't let it die on my watch. Um, Rather than praying for all the, you know, rather than praying to be a part of something new and wonderful, um, as opposed to Mm -hmm. worshiping at, oh, can we keep it looking the way it was so people will 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 be happy with that. Um, And if anything, COVID has Mm -hmm. um, COVID is COVID has killed it where I didn't have to worry about whether I was going to do it or not. You were at fault or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing there because we were talking about that today. Um, in a lot of ways, COVID presents church leaders of all stripes, I think with an opportunity, with together, hopefully the recognition of opportunity mm. is like, we're, there are a lot of people who have been coming to church by habit, mm. you know? Um, and there are people there too, who are coming to church because they're, desperate to encounter and know Jesus. And I think there's a lot of spaces in between, of course, as well. And probably all of us fit into one of those camps on any, any given Sunday. Mm-hmm. But but nevertheless, I think coming out of this kind of lockdown season, mm-hmm. I think there will be people who are asking themselves, why are we, does this matter? Am I still doing this? And and the people that we that do come together after all of this to say, okay, what does it look like for us to come together and, and trust, not just that this is a nice club that we have, like the rotary or something, mm-hmm. but like, but that like we're coming together to genuinely encounter God as, yeah. a, as a people. And um, I have a, fe- I have a feeling in me that there's like, you know, if nothing else going to be an increased hunger for that. I agree. At, at the end of this. I agree, Eliza. I think that did not from a worship perspective, but I've thought a lot about what are, what is the, silver lining in all of this missing each other and these gaps and community and all of that. And I think it's the same for me, like you being in Canada, I think I have chocolate chip on my lip. That's really embarrassing. <laughs> um, you being in Canada, you talked about like, it's different because people know why they're there. It's not normal. They don't have to be there. And I lived in New York city for a little while. And that was the, the, the richest church experience I've ever had mm. because people would line the blocks to go to church. They didn't have to do that. That's mm-hmm. not the norm. People that right. wanted to be there really wanted to be there. Right. And, and I think that that's the vision I have for what's going to like the fruit of this whole experience is that there's going to be this like sort of revival in the church of like the people that are there are, are there because they want to be there, not because it's like part of their routine because routine has been thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. You know? So that um, I'm glad that you're feeling that too and hoping for that too, because that sort of might been my, Okay, if we can get through it, maybe we weed out. And I don't mean people, like I don't want people to come back. But right. we push out kind of this riffraff routine, and there's like a new And that's order, And know? that's, that's totally. what I meant when I said, you know, COVID killed it. I meant COVID killed, COVID can't kill the yeah. spirit. God's much bigger. But COVID certainly killed the, the, the mundane routine if, if, we, if we were yeah, indeed in, in one. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, it's like what is Jesus said Absolutely. about the uh, the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I think that's mm-hmm. sort of the we have a tendency to sort of make these traditions, however new, sacrosanct. 
in in kind of like non-negotiable. And I think that that the traditions we have are good and healthy things. We should be careful not to toss them. Um, but they're for us, not us for them. Yeah. They're there for us to encounter God and grow in in the fruit of the spirit as we go out. Yeah. Not not for us to have another shackle, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. So thinking about this idea of discipline, like that word is so we almost didn't call this series spiritual disciplines because we thought kids wouldn't want to hear about discipline. And the reality is students listening to this, you're not the only one who doesn't like that word. I don't like the word <laughs> discipline, you know, these spiritual habits, but thinking of worship as a discipline, mm-hmm. like what does it mean for worship to be a discipline? And, and before you answer that, I'll give you a second to think. I just wanted to read. It's actually um, Richard Foster being inspired by brother Lawrence, finding God in the kitchen. And he mm-hmm. says, if he can find God in the kitchen, he can find God in, in mass as well. Like he knew that. And this is what he said. It kind of inspired him to go basically take a whole year learning how to live with a perpetual openness to Jesus as his teacher. Um, He said, Richard says this, I determined to learn his vocabulary. Is he addressing me through the singing birds or through someone's sad face? I sought to allow him to move through every action. My fingers while writing, my voice while speaking. My desire was to punctuate each minute with this whispering of adoration, praise, thanksgiving. And I failed many, many times, days at a time. But I kept trying over and over again, which that's this whole idea of discipline and habit. That year did many things for me, he says, but it especially heightened my sense of expectancy in public worship. After all, he had graciously spoken to me in dozens of little ways throughout the week. He will certainly speak to me on a Sunday morning as well. In addition, I found it increasingly easier to distinguish his voice from the blare of everyday life. And so for Mm -hmm. a student out there who's going, how do I get in the habit of worship? How does worship like go beyond a Sunday morning that I just show up and either James sing for, like I sing in worship, or how does it go beyond? I just do this thing with my family and I go to Sunday school and I check it off and I go home and I come back Wednesday you know, how do we take it beyond that? And he's saying, I was just looking for God in the mm-hmm. list moments. Like, what would you say? Like, yeah. how do we encourage students to take worship as a discipline? I, you know, this is something that I think about all the time. And yeah, I, I, this is, I think we have to dismantle our expectations and views of the Sunday experience. Mm. If Sunday is the only time that we, are saying that this is important, then we're missing the entire point, yeah. right? And it goes back to what we were saying earlier. Sunday should be a fill-up. Sunday should be um, a continuation, if you will, of what has already been happening Monday through Saturday, in my opinion. And I think what happens a lot of times, and even when I'm talking to my kids about, like my youth about worship and, and church, it's, Church ha- is is the space where we gather together to heal together, right? To be made new together, to be strengthened together, right? To have a new vision cast over us for the week. But that that should be a fill up. That should be us pulling up at the gas pump saying, I need more fuel. And I know my people are here. And I know the space is here for me to be able to do that. 
And then the actual, the I believe the the miracles. I believe the intimacy. I believe the vulnerability. I believe the humility. All of those things are developed in our everyday mm. mundane life. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking about discipline, I mean, I mean, for me, so I'm I'm going to be really real for y'all for a moment. Uh, I had I've, I had been praying. I was like, Lord, like. I need to be, I need to have a rekindling of your fire in my heart because like I said, this year has been just a lot. And, mm-hmm. and so um, I was like, Lord, I really need, and, and y'all, I, no, no lies here. Okay. The Lord began like sharing with me, when was the last time you made up your bed? Mm-hmm. And I was That's just like, that, I was like, that ain't got nothing to do with what I'm like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to talk about no bed right now. I'm like, what are you, what, what are you talking about? But as like I leaned more into that, it was just kind of like this: like your disciplines are based off of your rhythms. Yeah, yeah, right. And when you are intentional about your rhythms, your disciplines will lock in. And so it was just like I started making up my bed, y'all. Mm-hmm. It sounds and it sounds so silly, but it became a rhythm to where I made up my bed, and then I would roll right into time with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I would roll right into it. Became a a, yeah. a a a rhythm that that's happened mm-hmm. yeah. and that's so good. you know i think for anyone that's like struggling with like how to build those disciplines outside of just like what it looks like on sunday i mean i i, I mean i would just challenge like how we view sunday and then i would just also be like yo work on other disciplines mm-hmm. like like yeah. work, work on work on the things that you feel are mundane, the things that you feel like, why would I, this doesn't the make little me. things. Yeah. yeah. Right, and, right, like, right. And, like, and like, for me, that was making my bed and That's but, good, but it moved into this space where I was like, man, this is, I, and I, and I just started seeing things just begin to line up where it wasn't in, in, in what happens is like, I wasn't even trying to force myself to do it anymore. It just started happening. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, that, that's kind of how I think about it. And that's, I mean, it was just so funny you asked that, Lee, because that was that's been one of my places of personal prayer over the last six months. That's mm-hmm. really good. That's convicting that's for so- me. Yeah. Make up your bed, everybody. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. It makes me think of two things. One, um, I, I think one of the things to remember is at the center even of the Christian faith, including spiritual disciplines, is ultimately love. We're not told to grind we're told to love the lord with your heart soul mind and strength yeah. so so at the end of the day all of our disciplines ought to be disciplines of love yeah. and i think that um has its anchor in like we said earlier like in desire it has its anchor in hunger it has its anchor in uh, faithfulness um you know i and 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 on top of that it reminds me of a metaphor i mean i've often talked about worship as like corporate worship specifically as being like a wedding rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So there is a sermon at a wedding rehearsal. There is music at a wedding rehearsal. There is a performance at a wedding rehearsal, maybe even there are awkward uncles at the wedding rehearsal. There are, you, you take your pick. Everybody's, everybody's there at the wedding rehearsal, but the point of the wedding rehearsal is enacting the moment of the bride and groom becoming one thing and therefore having a marriage afterwards. And so to me, the corporate gathering is the wedding rehearsal where we're endlessly practicing Mm -hmm. the hope to come 
and yeah. the and the hope we have. And yet each believer still has the marriage to put into practice in their life. Mm. They still have to leave that Sunday morning and be married in a sense to and all they do. That's that's it good, easy. man. Wow. So like, it's it's that both <laughs> end. There's there's the like, wow. yeah, the, the ceremony matters because without the ceremony, we're never married. Right. There's there's where we depend on each other and we see God better because mm-hmm. of each other. But when we go out, we have to put on the love of God in all we do. And I think I think it's important not to diminish the value of experience in that. The truth is, I mean, we've I've been at a lot of leadership conferences with folks where you sit around and you go, hey, why are you still here? And almost to a person, maybe nine out of 10 people go, you know, once when I was whatever years old, I met God in this way that was very profound to me and I can't shake it. And I've had moments of doubt and I've had this and I've had that, but there was this one time or there was this, you know, there was a season in my life where I felt a sense of intimacy with God that I have not been able to live past. Mm. I think that I hear that all the time. And I think it's, if, if we have any job as worship leaders, and I think James said it earlier, it's, it's to kind of create an environment and then get out of the way so that people can have that. Mm. Yeah. If, yeah. We, if we do things that get yeah. in the way of that moment, then we're robbing them of a lifetime of riches, I think. Yeah. That's good. That's really Lee, good. I, I remember, um, I remember using the phrase and I don't know that I, I've used it as much in the, the classroom, if you will, um, with students at church, but it's, it's applicable, I think, right now with what we're talking about, but from a different standpoint. I used to say I was working with young students, and I used to use the phrase uh, somewhat motivationally, if you will, to younger. These were 11 and 12-year-olds, you know, just not quite to middle school age. And I would always say uh, whether teaching a, a drumming pattern or I was teaching a, a vocal pattern or I was teaching a certain way to use your voice, I would say you are what you repeatedly do. You are what you repeat. You become yeah. you become what you do over and over and over. Um, now that and those you yeah. can go any way you want with that. You know there are, there are um, addictions and there are people repeating things that aren't healthy. There's a, there's a way to repeat mm-hmm. things that are healthy. I I have taken more walks and I've started to exercise a little more just personally with a little bit of help from some people who've invited me to do that recently. But I think about Mm -hmm. when you talk about spiritual disciplines that I I haven't, I haven't read uh, the book that you're studying, but, um, but I need to, I'm not naturally a disciplined person, but as I've gotten a little bit older, um, I appreciate the, the model and the, um, the model that others have shown me who are disciplined. And I've, I think I've learned from people who, yeah. who are, um, but of course God sees us at our core. God knows that we're more than those unhealthy things we repeat. God mm-hmm. has the opportunity to break that rule. And, 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 and because we're mm-hmm. yeah. you know, beloved children of, of, of the creator, you know, God, God has the power to mm-hmm. rewrite those things and God sees beyond our discipline or lack of, um, but what is it that we can learn from repetition, right? And not in a not in a routine, mundane way, but in a wow, you do something more often, you're you're more open to seeing where growth can happen. 
people that exercise are going to be mm-hmm. healthier and they have more stamina and they have more energy. Mm-hmm. People that, um, you know, mm-hmm. people that pour themselves into the word, pour themselves into prayer, they repeat it. They are what they repeat. And so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm preaching to myself totally. really, in the lack of in my life at times. Amen. Me too. Yeah. Um, oh, were you going to say something else? Uh, well, just it, it, um, it back to that sense of like discipleship, really. Like it, when we sing together, when we worship together, that people often say, oh, the chorus, we're repeating it too many times. We're doing this, we're doing that. As if like, as if Christians are a brain on a stick without mm-hmm. a body and instincts and emotions and all the things that come along with it. There was actually some really interesting research done on the brain when you sing, you may be familiar with this, but like, uh, you know, dopamine, which is this hormone that makes you feel good. It's a reward chemical that happens when you sing in a group. Oxytocin is another thing that the brain produces when you sing together in a group. And oxytocin has the weird side effect of causing us to grow in trust. So it actually deepens social bonds. It's what mothers experience when they hold their baby for the first time. Mm. Um, Your first date, that's oxytocin. Um, But a a University of Bonn, I think, in Germany, um, just recently, uh, like three, four years ago, showed that there's also a direct connection between oxytocin and altruism. So you look back at that kind of like Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Well, singing has a unique ability to access your brain like a Christmas tree for Pete's sake, your body with air coming in and out, or your heart, soul, your spirit as you do that. And it's it requires your whole self to sing mm-hmm. in a group like that, right? Well, it just so happens that the hormones produced in our body by design when we do this, oxytocin, also then increases altruism. It gives us literal, literally the impetus to go out into the world and make the world a little bit of a better place, to love our neighbor as ourselves, even at cost to ourselves. Yeah. So I think there's a temptation to think that these habits, these exercises, these things are like intellectual exercises strictly. Yeah, that is, or they go beyond that. Yeah. We have to convince ourselves to do it. The truth is that the things that we put into practice, like, like James was saying, are the things that we repeat in part because the things that we repeat, particularly by God's design that we're told to do, um, that these things bizarrely have an incredible effect on us and actually change us. I like how you yeah. used the word rhythm earlier. That's- There's a real rhythm. Like, and Dwight, you mentioned yeah. it with the uh, just getting up and starting with the making of the bed. There's a rhythm that led to I do this, mm-hmm. which led to yeah. that. There's a um, just a quick little quote, Lee. I know you were headed somewhere else, but... Um, there's a, a, oh, no, a no, somewhat well-known um, matriarch of children's music in the liturgical, uh, traditional church music, like uh, children's choirs. And uh, her name was Helen Kemp uh, from the Princeton, New Jersey area. And she would uh, she had a phrase that she used to teach other teachers, and it was um, body, mind, spirit, voice. It takes the whole person to sing and rejoice. So it's a whole yeah. body experience to be a part of, mm-hmm. of music yeah. and what you're doing in those moments, which you kind of spoke to Elias is, is not just for yourself, right? It's like for the body. Um, mm-hmm. so there's something so much bigger happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we are 49 minutes into our conversation and I could talk about this all day. You guys are so brilliantly smart. 
Um, I should not have even worried about preparation. But um, I want to do a couple of things before we close. I want um, you guys, my, my kind of next question was, how can we encourage each other, encourage our students to prepare for worship? Um, so I'd like for you to kind of maybe give one or two things you think we could do, like actual practical steps, things to prepare. One thing that Richard Foster talks about is like the importance of sleep. Dwight, this speaks very much to the importance of making your bed and like that rhythm. But when you get enough sleep, like you are able to rise expectant, rise refreshed. And that's, I I know that to be true because I've always been a late nighter always. And then I had kids and now it like when I put them down, I'm like, it is time for me to hit the hay. Like I am ready to go to bed because yeah. I know what's coming for me. Right. And the next mm-hmm. day. And so there's this idea of like, I want to get enough so that I'm ready. Um, so that's one way that I have been thinking about like preparing myself for worship, whether that's a Saturday night to a Sunday morning time of worship or just that daily, every day, uh, that rejuvenation. Mm. But what would you say is something students could do to prepare themselves for worship? And then if you've got any other thoughts, if you want a student to hear one thing that you said about worship, um, throw that out there. And then I'm going to close with one more thing. So take it away. Anybody who wants to go first. I would say, um, like you, you use the word um, expectant. You know, we think about that word a lot during the season of Advent, but to come expecting for, you know, I have used, and I know the students have used the, the term nugget, you know, expecting some kind of nugget to take away. What's a takeaway that you can, um, that you can carry with you in a song lyric? in um, a word in the message, in a prayer, in a, um, I, I forget who said it, in the, in the look of, in someone's eye, in, in the, the way someone was feeling that day. What, what, is that, what is that telling you about the way you need to carry your light out into the world um, that the rest of your, your week? So uh, um, it, something as simple as bringing something to write with and take some notes. Uh, is 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 nerdy as that sounds you you it's just gonna it's just gonna leave us i think um i have to write it down um you know come expecting and um and take something away be intentional about taking something away yeah it's good yeah i i uh Mm-hmm. When I was in my my family in high school, honestly, was a disaster. My parents were divorced. My dad was going to his like third marriage. It was there was all kinds of stuff when mm-hmm. I was in high school, um, and I I found myself reading uh, inspired by song actually, um, Zephaniah three seventeen, mm-hmm. and it makes me think of a couple of things. But it says, "For the Lord your God is living among you." He's a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. Mm. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And I think sometimes we kind of take the posture as if we're coming to worship to muster up God. Mm. You know, that like we're like singing God's theme song. So he shows up. (laughs) But I I think it's probably more that singing the mechanism of it the practice of praying with your whole self, you know, that it has a unique ability to change us. So we don't, we don't sing. So God shows up. God is there. God delights in us. God is rejoicing over us for singing. What God wants is intimacy with his people. And what we do is sing so that we show up and, and we quiet 
the noise of our life and we quiet the distractions and the other things. And we say, okay, by this mechanism, I can put my whole self into something. And yes, it's better with a group. That's true. But even on your own, I mean, we're doing it remote. I'll stand up with my family and my kids will look at me like I'm an idiot or something like that. But mm -hmm. I'll stand and sing along to myself on the thing. And it, and what do you know, two weeks later, my kids are singing along and it's become this sweet little thing sometimes. Mm -hmm. Not every week, but you know, hey, some <laughs> other time. Um, but the idea that like, you know, there's something in the discipline of just showing up myself and saying, God, I know you're here and you want to meet with me. You know, what do I need to do to be sure that I'm here, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think preparing just kind That's of good. means being willing to show up and, and take the next step. Mm. That's good. Man, yeah. I think for me, um, I, I just want to echo again the, the expectation of worship. Elias, you said this and it was so good. Like, God is already there. So there, there is nothing more you can do mm. and there's nothing more you have to do to ask for God to be present. Uh, mm. That is a guarantee because God loves you. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I think worship then takes a different meaning. Mm. When I'm showing up for my, I'm showing up to a space God is already in um mm -hmm. what a what a freeing feeling that I don't have to do anything to to conjure that up. All I have okay. to do is say all I have to do is say yes. Mm -hmm. Um and so I, I think I anyone that's that's trying to get a gain a better understanding of this, one, know that your adult counterparts are too. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, there's never a point there's never a point where you're going to be like, all right, I got worship down pat. Right. Right. Yep. Uh, so erase that notion. Erase mm -hmm. this finish line. Uh, it is a lifelong commitment uh, and, it, and a lifelong commitment that happens daily. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think you're going to show up some days and some days God is just going to be waiting on you to show up. But both of those days, God will be there. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I, I just want to just kind of reiterate that of just creating a rhythm, creating something that works for you, not something that you're trying to reciprocate or something that you're trying to replicate. You see someone else doing, but like what, what works in your rhythm, what works in your world, what, mm -hmm. what things do you connect yourself and your relationship to God with? Because it's yours. It's not mm -hmm. anybody else's. Um, and they, and they all look different and God is so good and kind in that way where God can bend to each individual personality and it still mean the same thing in every single single relationship. Yeah, amen. Um, and and I think the last thing that I would say is, we worship a God that has orchestrated worship in the creation of the world, right? So in Genesis one, Genesis two, we th that was worship. Mm -hmm. But then the ultimate act of worship is the gospel and the coming of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. right? So that. Those things have to have language of worship around them. And I don't think we do that enough. Mm -hmm. um, God was worshiping by sending Jesus mm -hmm. so that we could be redeemed. And, and I think, I don't know. I, and that's a new, that's something I'm still wrestling with. That's something I'm still like trying to be like, oh, wait, what? That's crazy. But it's just something that I think as, as you're trying to build that, that rhythm and as you are, as you're doing it day to day, man, 
you you serve a God that that has upheld worship at the highest regard, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Yeah. and and it's scooping down to include you in it, and it's, mm-hmm. and it's and it's beautiful. How humbling! Yeah, what an honor to get to be a part. That just yeah. blows my mind. Yeah. Also an honor to be a part of this conversation with y'all. I just feel smarter already. Oh. <laughs> I'm actually going into a call right after this, and I'm planning to steal so many things that y'all have said and use them as if they're mine. Yes, so, take it. Yeah, I'm taking it. Um, so quickly before we go, I just want to say, James, um, what's going on at the church that people can be listening out for? We're having the Festival of – Carols, it's going to look different, but tell us just very, very quickly yeah, where they can um, tune in for that. It's going to stream online as an event for people to to take part in on the 20th of the month. Um, for us traditional um, worship people, that would be the fourth Sunday of the Advent season, uh, the, the Sunday before Christmas, uh, three in the afternoon, and it'll, of course, just be out there in the interworld for people to see it's uh carols for people to sing along to a you know choirs and orchestras it's crazy that um from orchestra players to choir members you know people had the courage to stand uh, sing or play all by themselves behind a cell phone and then send it to a a perfect stranger and then it all comes together i'm not that perfect stranger they know me but uh, I'm not the one editing all of this. And on the other end comes this kind of event for for uh, worship songs. Mason Cavaness is featured on one of the songs. Then students are singing with Mason and singing with a, uh, with an orchestra and singing traditional carols and some other Christmas things as well. So And some of the things that our congregation uh, typically listens for, you know, certain songs that they like to hear people sing. Awesome. And then, Elias, we know that we can catch you at the Village we're not like telling our students, don't skip our services, but definitely supplement <laughs> at the village. Um, we have no problem with that. But also, um, we know that you have music out. Like, where can our students catch you? Yeah, music? I mean, where, wherever they listen to music, you can probably right. find my music. Um, Instagram is a good place. I hang out on Instagram a lot. But What's your, uh, um, what's your handle? Uh, at Elias Dummer. Okay, so, D-U-M-M-E-R, yep. folks. We'll put yep. that in the podcast so you can see it. Yep. Awesome. And then, Dwight, where can we find your new single – yeah. Um, tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, new single. Can, yeah. Anywhere you listen to music, Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, all those lovely places. And then, yeah, like Elias, uh, I, I like to hang out on Instagram and be silly. So uh, <laughs> some of the some of some of the some of the Bum C students already follow me. Sure, from yeah. Other events that we've done together. But yeah. Um, and my Instagram handle is just at I. I'm Dwight Johnson. I am then Dwight Johnson. So perfect. And we'll put all of this in the podcast. This podcast will um, be out in uh, a week or so. And so they'll have all that information. But before we go, I want to pray us out, but I just want to do it a little bit differently. I just want to read Psalm 145 from the message. And as soon as I'm done with that, um, we'll say our amens and I'll, uh, we'll, we'll be done from there. So uh, will you join me in this? I lift you high and praise my God, my King. I will bless your name into eternity. I'll bless you every day and keep it up from now to then. God, you are magnificent, can never be praised enough. There are no boundaries to your goodness, to your greatness. Generation after generation stands in all of your work. Each one tells the story of your mighty acts. Your beauty and your splendor have everyone talking. I compose songs based on your wonders. 
Your marvelous doings are headline news. I could write a book full of details of your greatness. The fame of your goodness spreads across the country. Your righteousness is on everyone's lips. God is all mercy and grace, not quick to anger, rich in love. God is good to one and all, and everything he does is suffused with grace. Creation and creatures applaud you, God, your holy people. We bless you. We talk about the glories of your rule. We exclaim over your splendor. All eyes are on you. We're expectant. You give us our feedings on time. You are generous to a fault. You lavish favor on all of us. Everything God does is right. The trademark on all of God's work is love. God oh. sticks by all who love him, but it is all over for those who don't and won't. My mouth, God, is filled with your praise. Let everything living bless you from now into eternity. Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of To the Table. Special thanks again to James Wells, Dwight Johnson, and Elias Dummer for joining us. Our regular hosts are Lee French, Adam Jones, Kate Orr, Derek Walker, Hannah DeFada, and Mason Cavanis. Executive produced and recorded by Mason Cavanis and executive produced by Lee French. Edited by Mason Cavanis and John Provost. Mixed and mastered by John Provost. Music by Spring Game. To the Table is a podcast from Brentwood United Methodist Church in Brentwood, Tennessee.